Thanks for downloading this episode of Cork Talk with me, Tim Atkin. A weekly conversation with some of the most famous people in the world of wine. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with Nomacork by Vinventions. Driven by a commitment to innovation, the new plant-based Nomacork Green Line offers significant improvements in wine closure performance. Thanks to a rigorous oxygen ingress rate, you can decide which cork is best for your wine, whether it's for young and fresh wines or for those with ageing potential. Master of Wine Sonal Holland is on a one-person mission to get Indian consumers to drink more wine. Writer, wine judge, presenter, consultant and retailer, she's one of those people who never seems to stop working. Listen to us chat about what she calls her arranged marriage with wine, the best reds and whites to look out for from the subcontinent, what she serves with spicy food, and what it's like being a high-profile woman in India. Hi, Sonal, how are you? I'm very good, Tim. <laughs> and you're in India, aren't you? And I think today's a bit of a special day, isn't it? It is. I'm in Mumbai, and today's the last day of the Ganesh Chaturthi Festival. Uh, so if you've heard of the Ganesh Festival, it's a 10-day festival, and today's the day we, we take the idol of Ganesh, you know, the god, and we, we, we put it in water, we immerse it. It's a way of saying bye-bye to him until next year. So normally people come out on the streets, there's, a, there's processions, there's drums playing, there are people are dancing, drinking, all sorts of things happening. Right now there's no noise, but I must say there's a dis- as a disclaimer, if any of this noise starts halfway through our, our chat, I'm not to be blamed. I just don't want anyone to think this is coming out of my home. This is coming out from the streets of Mumbai. Are you right next to the street, aren't you? I, I am. I'm on the main road. Um, uh, yeah, my building's on the main road. One of the main roads is Mumbai. So we, we've been warned, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you for the, the advanced warning, I think. Yes. Listen, I want to start just by talking to you a little bit about your family. You've got this amazing career in wine. I can't believe how much you've done and how much you do. Um, I just, you know, you. Were you brought up as a, as a wine drinker in your family? Uh, no, not in the least bit. I, I have no precedence in wine. Uh, we don't come from a family of wine producers or anyone in the business of wine. Wine is very new to India. Uh, our culture in wine is barely two decades, three decades at most old. Uh, so I actually grew up uh, drinking vodka, gin and a lot of dark rum, you know, because dark rum is what India actually grew up on. My first glass of wine, you won't believe this, was at the age of 28 Wow. Uh, yeah, Amazing. my first glass of wine was, and it was a simple Bourgogne, you know, like a simple white Burgundy, I remember. Uh, and my husband who was back then, my partner, my boyfriend, I just started seeing him. And he's British, Tim. I, I don't know if you know this, but that's I what I get this. That. That's where I get this fancy surname, right? Holland. Otherwise, I, I'd, be, I'd have some Indian name. Uh, but anyway, he introduced me to wine and I had my first sip of wine. And although it was a simple wine, I, I remember loving it. And I saying to myself, wow, this is really good. What is it? And at that time, obviously, he conned me by saying this is one of the finest wines I'm, uh, you know, in your glasses. Only only for me to know many years later. Yeah, <laughs> definitely, most certainly. But you know, I got back many years later and I said, you know, that was that was you I was a cheap date, wasn't I? That just gave me really, you know, crappy wine and and got got me to date you. But yeah, that's where it all started. But 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 I didn't but I didn't I didn't digress into wine till the age of thirty three. So from wow. twenty eight to thirty three, I was just kind of exploring all sorts of drinks, mm-hmm. and I was traveling with my husband all around the world. And we used to often come to Great Britain, we used to come to London. We have family here, and so we used to end up spending time. And many an evenings, invariably, would end up in an Indian restaurant where we'd enjoy some, um, uh, in, you know, all sorts of wines there. And I would often wonder whether India could have a thriving wine culture like that one day. 
And at the time, I was working for a multinational NASDAQ-listed yeah. Fortune 500 company in a fairly good role. You know, I was, it was a fairly rewarding career I had at the time, but I had no idea I was going to pivot in my career and start a career in wine. I had no idea till it just happened one day. Yeah, but what made you pivot? Because as you said, you had this successful career. You could have yeah. gone up, you know, the, the career ladder and just gone on getting getting bigger and better jobs and more money. Yes. And you suddenly thought, I'm going to do wine out of nowhere. Right? I mean, obviously, you'd had five years of drinking it, but what made you do it? When I look back, I actually don't even have a good answer for that. But I'm so glad it happened. Uh, but I think what was happening is I was I was in this company and it was it was well paying and I was traveling all around the world. Uh, but I just felt very unsatiated. I felt it wasn't fulfilling me. I didn't see myself retiring in this industry. It was a very boring industry. It was a staffing company. So it was like a recruitment. Uh, I can tell you what company it was. It was Kelly Services. So you've probably heard of Kelly, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's among the world's top four staffing companies. And I was a director in the company. So fairly senior position. But I just felt yeah, it's an HR industry. I don't want to be in this industry. It's doing nothing for me. It's not allowing me to showcase my skill sets the way I'd like them to. And I need to change. And of course, not to mention there was a lot of organizational politics at the time. And I have no tolerance for red tape and politics. So I was just looking to do something different. And uh, wine as an idea just came along. I mean, you've described the move into wine as being like an arranged marriage, which doesn't sound that much fun. I mean, it was surely more fun than that, wasn't it? Uh, you know, this is very well researched, Tim, because I said this a long, long time ago. So I don't know where you you actually got that one. <laughs> oh, I've, I've got my. But answer. but now that I think of it, it's a brilliant it's a brilliant analogy, and I'll explain what I meant by that. Uh, so an arranged marriage is very common in India, where you know your parents help you find a, a life partner, and an arranged marriage, the love happens after marriage, typically because. The marriage happens for a strategic alliance. It happens for whatever reasons. Two families come together and they think this is a strategic alliance for better business reasons or for some sort of a mutual benefit. And, and, and then love happens. And then love happens. And then these are rock solid marriages. You know, these are marriages that last for 50, 70 years. And you'd know that India even today has one of the lowest divorce rates in the world, despite there being a very high percentage of arranged marriages happening. Anyway, we're here to talk about why not arranged marriages. But to sort of draw from the same analogy, the idea was that when I got into wine, I didn't really love, love, love wine. I looked at the landscape here in India around me and I realized that there were no proper wine educators or wine consultants or anybody who was in the business of communicating or advocating wine. And I felt that there was a real lacuna for that, that profession. But when I looked to the West and I saw in the UK, people like yourselves and Jancis and so many legends out there were doing so well in this profession. And I thought, wow, there's going to come a day when the, when the wine revolution is going to you know, bite India mm. and, and there will be a need for qualified wine professionals and there aren't any. And I thought, why can't I be that person? And then when I researched, I found that the master of wine is the top accolade in the wine world to be. So I straight away aimed for that. And I said, okay, let me try and be India's first master of wine. How cool would that be? So it was, it, it was literally like that. In all naivety, in all naivety, that's what I thought. I thought, oh, that would be so cool, you know, to be India's first master of wine. And you, um, and you, and you were, you know, 2016, you passed, you know. Uh, yes, home, right? but, this, but this thinking was happening in 2007. So it was a 10-year-long journey. So you can imagine, Tim, thinking it is one thing, right, but to relentlessly then continue to study the, the subject for the next 10 years of your life is another. And now when I look back, I think people ask me, like, what made you do it? That's, that's, you know, how did you just keep at it? And I don't really have a great answer. But the thing is, at some point then, I 
what well along the, along the lines I fell in love with wine I was fascinated by the world of wines and the more I studied it the more deeper I went into it and then love happened like an arranged marriage and then 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 I just wanted to continue exploring more and by then the the dream to be India's first master of wine almost become became an obsession too it's really something I wanted to achieve it became a goalpost <laughs> so there was no choice I didn't leave myself a choice I just wanted to go for it yeah and you did it it's brilliant and I did it yeah thank you yeah cheers listen I mean you've you've talked about this little but you've said that wine is a comparatively new thing in India. I mean, it's a very large, as we know, and very populous country. 1.2 billion, are you, Indians? 1.4. 1.4. Yeah, we, right. we, we increase by 100 million uh, every hour. Like, <laughs> Without people noticing, <laughs> if you, right? If you ask me tomorrow, it'll be 1.5. <laughs> you know, it's, the, it's this amazingly large market for Scotch whiskey. I think it's the biggest market outside, outside Scotland, isn't it? I mean, We are. We drink more whiskey than Scotland produces, and we are by far the largest consumer of whiskey in the world, the second largest in the US, which is one third of India. So we're like right. leading by a wide far margin. And I mean, is wine catching on? I mean, partly thanks to you, I know, but... Thank you. Uh, no, definitely. I, I think uh, I've witnessed this journey now for over 15 years. And back in the day, uh, wine wasn't as popular. But today, it's really caught on in, in, in mainstream media and mainstream lives of people. There's a lot of fascination. There's a lot of curiosity along wine. Wine has been consistently growing at 14 to 15% in India. And it is... Um, uh, thankfully, the fastest growing beverage in the country today. So it's growing at a faster rate, although on a, on a lower base, but it is the fastest growing beverage in the country. It is the new media symbol of sophistication, success, celebration, romance, you know, all of that. Uh, and people are consuming wine because it's a very aspirational drink. So people think, okay, once I've achieved a certain level of success in life and a certain uh, aspirational standard of living, I must be seen as drinking wine. And yeah. so people are embracing wine across all strata across all age groups and fascinatingly so even among men uh, uh, well men for sure but even among women uh, and also the young millennial and gen z and i don't know if you know this but we're the youngest country in the world right we have 500 gen z uh, and and another you know 600 millennial i mean we have a crazy population of, you know, more than 50% of India is below 25 years of age. There you go. That's the stat you need. Wow. More than 50%. So over 700 million people are under 25 years of age. We're the youngest country in the world. So all we need to do, all I need to do is convince <laughs> these young people wine. <laughs> is to drink wine. And I, I'll be driving limousine. That's it. I mean, yeah, and, and uh, India, India makes its own wine. I and mean, most of what they drink yes. in India is Indian yeah. wine, isn't it? I mean, I think yes. people are often surprised. They don't realise this. Can you just tell us a bit more about the local industry? You know, where are the vineyards and how many big producers are there and, and, and where are they? Really? So the main wine capital of the country is in Nasik, which is uh, roughly a three and a half hour drive from where I'm sitting at the moment from Mumbai. Uh, so it's in the western part of India. And this is the wine capital of the country because nearly 70 to 80 percent of the wineries in India today exist in this belt of Nashik. Uh, but other than that, there are also other pockets like down south in Karnataka, uh, in, in a city near Bangalore, where there are some a cluster of wineries there. Then there is a place in Pune, which again is somewhere close to where I am, where there's another cluster Um and so there are there are many such smaller clusters, but like I said, eighty percent of the wineries are in Nasik. 
Um, and the progression has been because it used to be a major table grape growing land. That's where all the table grapes of our country grew. And then finally, the, the whole industry went through metamorphosis. The farmers realized there's more money to be earned in growing wine grapes as opposed to table grapes, not knowing in the least bit at the time that the, the whole fundamental and the science behind growing wine grapes is entirely opposite of what is needed to grow table grapes. So it went through its own learning and mistakes and trial and error. But nevertheless, we've evolved over the last two decades. And today, a lot of wine gets made. And our styles is we started with some indigenous grape varieties. But today, I'm proud to say and relieved to say that a lot of the grape varieties that grow in India are the ones that we're familiar with, the popular grape varieties. So for example, in whites, we grow Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, really good Chenin Blanc. I think we have a real chance on the world stage after South Africa or alongside South Africa for our Shannon Blancs. Um, we do some Riesling, uh, Vioniers, all of that. And in whites, uh, sorry, in reds, we do Cabernet Sauvignons, Merlot, Tempranillo, Sangiovese. Can you believe it? I would, I would put my bets on the Indian Sangiovese in years to come. And um, wow. yeah, I know, right? Like uh, yes. how many countries grow Sangiovese? And the fact that well, India's well, taken made, made a stab at it. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. my point. So I, I, that's pretty, I mean, I'm pretty kicked about, about that. So, and Shiraz, Shiraz, we do a lot of Shiraz in India as well. So, but everything and grape varieties that people are familiar with, you know, even on a global stage. So I mean, that's, and we, what about yeah. up north? You know, the, 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 I, mean, I, I assume I, I might be wrong with this, but the, the north of India is more mountainous. Is that, I know, in yes, the, the it famous is. tea areas, things like that. I mean, yes. I just wonder with climate change, whether anybody's looking at areas where tea grows and thinking, hey, we could grow grapes. You know what's been happening is there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of movement up north for fruit wines, other fruit wines, wines made out of fruits other than grape, mm. and there's wines today being made out of. So India is a bountiful country. You know we're an agricultural land. We grow every possible fruit, vegetable, crop there is, mm. and so there's a big industry and a parallel industry of fruit wine that is growing parallelly, which obviously I haven't paid much attention to because mm. I. I stuck to grape wine. But is that still alcoholic, the fruit a, wine? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah pro possibly even a bit more than, than the grape wine because <laughs> India loves its high alcohol. We have no problem with high alcohol, trust me. So, um, yeah, so we're making, we're making those fruit wines and there's some amount of wine along these lines being made in the east of India, which is in a state called Meghalaya, which is today touting to be the, the fruit wine capital of the country. Or that's at least the government, what they're working towards. So I'm... Even right now, although there are no grape wine wineries up north, I'm sure that as the demand for wine grows and consumers embrace, continue to embrace wine, there will be, we will be scouting for new terroirs, mm -hmm. cooler terroirs. Mm -hmm. Having said that, Nasik has an advantage. Nasik, the belt, which is the wine capital, is at 600 meters above sea level. Uh, okay. Although but, it's on flat land, but yeah. overall the land is elevated. And the mm -hmm. other plus is it has great diurnal temperature variation. So mm -hmm. even in the hottest of months, the, the evenings are relatively cooler and that really allows the, the grapes to slow down the ripening, you know, mm -hmm. keep, retain its acidity and, and retain its freshness. Yeah. But I mean, it's interesting, you once said that India is like a blank canvas for wine, but I get the impression of what you're saying that the canvas is starting to be filled in. I mean, with all these things you're talking about over the last 15 years. And, you know, it's, it's an industry that's growing. I don't know. I mean, how many hectares of vineyards are there in India now? We have just over 100,000 hectares, not hectares, 100,000, 120,000 acres yeah. of, of vineyards in India. But about the, about the point you made about the canvas, I mean, as long as it's me filling that canvas, I'm happy. But, <laughs> <laughs> but You're the, the painter, point, are you? Yeah, I, I'm the, as long as I'm the sole painter, I'm, I'm happy with this. But no, on a serious <laughs> note, the reason I said that, Tim, is uh, India is, is just a land of opportunity. There's nothing been done on wine here. 
So anything we do is a pioneering initiative. And I've been just happy because the academy I started in 2009 was India's first academy, uh, you know, in, in, in association with the WSED to start offering WSED courses. The WSED is uh, one is for education trust for people listening who don't know what that, what that is. So it's a professional qualification, isn't it, really? Correct. So yeah. I was the first one in India to get that that alliance going and, and we started offering those courses. Uh, when we started the mo- modern wine retail, that was also a revolutionary, a pioneering initiative. When I started India's first wine competition for wines available in India, both domestic and international, called the India Wine Awards, that was for the, the first of its kind. So it's, you know, the, the reason I say it's a blank canvas is you don't have to be stereotyped. You can paint any picture you want. And we don't have to necessarily reinvent the wheel because the West has all these best practices. All we need to do is look to the West, look at the best global practices and sort of try and bring that culture and revolution and initiatives into India. And that's really what I've been trying to do. Um, so, yeah, that's why Blank Canvas. And I think you were saying that, you know, you get the sense that wines enter the mainstream when you see actresses in Bollywood movies drinking wine yes. and being proud of drinking wine. Um, yes. How recently did that happen? Uh, I would say about five years ago, and this is a big thing, Tim, it might seem very uh, ordinary to, to any average person otherwise, but, but it's extraordinary because in Indian culture to be shown, a woman, the Indian woman to be shown as consuming alcohol in a public sort of a domain or something as mainstream as Bollywood movies and God knows how, how seriously we take our, our films. Massively, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's religion. It's totally, Bollywood. I mean, it's Bollywood is religion for us. You know, we are the biggest producers of films in the world. We produce uh, 10 times, I think, more more films than, than Hollywood does. I mean, we're wow. a massive genre of films. So, um, so women were traditionally never shown consuming alcohol. And it was generally reserved for women who were playing a negative role. You know, what we used to refer to as the vamps. You know, somebody who's playing a negative role. But in the last People five say, years... don't become like that. Don't become like that. Yes, person, right? yes. So exactly. Imagine I chose a profession where I said, well, I'm trying to steer the whole direction towards become like that. And it's a big, it's a big U-turn. But anyway, nevertheless. So these women, the, the lead female actors in these films today are not just drinking out of a glass, but there are some movie songs I've seen where they're seen drinking out of a bottle. Now that's a bit bizarre, but, uh, but it shows that, you know, when the, it's shown as a, it's a, it's a, it's a symbol of romance, you know, when the, the hero and the female actor are romancing uh, and there are lots of songs in our films. In these songs, then the wine appears and then sometimes they want to get drunk really quickly. And then that's when they start to drink out of a bottle. But anyway, I see these all as very positive signs. So, so this as progress. It's right? all going. It's all going in the right direction. <laughs> Listen, tell us a bit more about you because you do so many different things. I have trouble keeping up sometimes. But you know, you're a writer, you're a wine judge, you're a presenter, you're a consultant. You've even got a chain of retail shops, which we'll talk about in a minute. How, how do you divide your time up between all these different things? I mean, keeping all these balls up in the air. I don't. I just go with the flow. I just go with where the water is flowing. But, you know, honestly, I chose to do this. I, and it's been a, it's a question I asked myself very earlier on, which is, do I only want to be one thing or one or two things? And I thought that I, I would be missing a lot of opportunities if I had chosen to do that. You see, India is a market which right now demands breadth rather than depth. Depth is yet to come. And I think where in a country where the depth of wine is not established, and it's very important to establish breadth. So I 
decided strategically very earlier on that I wasn't going to get stereotyped in one or two roles. Mm. And I would try and launch everything and some would fail, some would work. Mm. And eventually, as I went along this journey, it would automatically come, I would automatically come to some realization that this seems more lucrative or this is something I feel more passionate towards. And this is then, then maybe that would carve the path down where I would go more. And so I think it's been the right decision. I Has it happened? I'm involved. Well, no. Uh, it's it's carving itself you know as india is also taking shape my thoughts about where i need to be are taking shape so in 2009 i launched the sonal hall and wine academy which i entered into the education business for the next couple of years after that i started to do a lot of work with the wine society of india and started doing some events and so on uh, then in 2000 between 2013 to 16 i was the director of wine and beverages for india's second largest chain of hotels the itc group of hotels an opportunity uh, for a major role like that to be played even before I became a master of wine. Typically, people land roles like these after oh, they become masters yeah. of wine, right? <laughs> but I was fortunate because, again, I was in a nascent land with very few qualified professionals. I landed this, you know, prime opportunity before I became an MW. Then in 2016, I launched the consultancy arm. In 2017, I went ahead and did the... I started India Wine Awards, which is India's largest competition of uh, all blind tasting of over 500 wines that we do, which are both domestic and international. And we draw a list of the best wines to drink in India. So it's a, it's a competition of wines that are available in India. In 2019, I started uh, the retail venture, which is Wine to Wine. Um, a year before that, I think I, I partnered with Wine Intelligence to launch <laughs> the first India Landscape Report. So opportunities keep coming. And the point yeah. is, I can't say no to opportunities, Tim. How well, also you're, you're very good at what you do. So people people seek you out. You know, you're a very good, extremely good communicator, and everybody loves you. So you know, you're me, you're you're out you. there putting, doing all this stuff. But but it's you know, it's great. I mean, it's it's for me, it's 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 quite astounding from outside. You think, God, how does this? this but I'm not. But speak? I'm not always doing everything. My point yeah. is that I just kind of juggle my time a little bit. And like for 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 example, right now we're getting ready with India Wine Awards, and we just yeah. announced our association with Provine because Provine is doing a, right. a Mumbai edition, and Mumbai yeah. Provine wants to uh, partner with us for India Wine Awards, the award ceremony. So right now there's a lot of work around that happening. So maybe one or two other things will take a bit of a backseat, mm. but. The idea is to have a foot in every pie. Yeah, I like that. That's what, yeah. <laughs> or a finger in every pie, not a foot. Or a finger. Oh, sorry, not a foot. I knew I was saying something wrong. It's a, a finger pie, in every pie. Big pie. At, Listen, at least you, I didn't. At least I didn't say nose. Yeah, exactly. Listen, you've mentioned this this image that wine had of being yeah. associated with the vamp and you know the kind of loose woman. I mean, you're the highest profile female you know involved with wine in india in the subcontinent probably i mean do you get criticized you do sometimes on social media don't you i mean do you, do you take that kind of stuff seriously people say what are you doing promoting wine yeah but you know it, it happened more lately during the pandemic when my social media following really went through the roof uh we grew from i think 20 or thirty thousand followers straight to one hundred and fifty thousand followers it was a big leap. And at that time, because a lot of our reels and a lot of our content went viral, uh, a lot of people who I don't know or don't know of me, have never heard of me, suddenly then started following me. And when you kind of, when you go mass, right, you can't uh, predict and you can't control what people think. So there were also a lot of, some people, I would say 95% were positive reviews, but there'll always be those uh, people coming from an uneducated strata or from a more, from a more regressive part of the society 
who see you holding a glass of wine and teaching about wine and they will make comments like, oh, you unethical woman, you are spoiling the, the, the cultural fabric of this country and they'll call you an alcoholic in horrible words in Hindi. So all of that. But, you know, I'm a believer in... I'm a believer that no PR is bad PR. What they don't realize is even when they're commenting, they're boosting my engagement. So I'm very happy. So sometimes I encourage them. I'm like, oh, say more, say more. And then they say more. And then, it's, you know, Instagram just thinks I'm, I'm so damn popular. It gives me another, another 10,000 followers for that. So I love it. No, no PR is bad PR. It's, yeah, it's I mean, all you, part. You, did, you gotta you take did, it in your stride. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you know, you did one film. Um, I think it was. I think it was Instagram, wasn't it? Of you opening, you know, explaining to people how to open a, a bottle of sparkling wine, and you got like yeah. five million hits, didn't you? I mean, why I was that so popular? Do you think? I have no idea. Honestly, if I knew the secret formula, I'd produce ten more like these. We all would, <laughs> wouldn't we? Wouldn't we? Just really, and I have no idea. But I think what what clicked there is because I've seen this. I made it out of out of a, the fact that I have observed now for many years that at parties people will vigorously shake their champagne bottle or their sparkling wine bottle. They will never bother to keep a hand on their cork. Sometimes the cork comes flying out. It makes a loud popping sound. Half the champagne spills out uh, before consuming it. And people think this is the way it's to be done. And it always bothers me because I I see that side and I think, oh my God, someone's going to get hurt. And this is just so wrong. So I just literally made it out of education. But I think the reason it worked is because I think at the end of the day, I was telling people something they didn't know. And they were fascinated yeah. to know. And so ultimately, I come back to the core principle of curating content or doing anything in life. You've got to add value. I think if you add value and you tell people something they don't know and you add value to their knowledge or their understanding of any subject, they will appreciate it. And I think the video just went viral and thank God for it. Yeah, yeah but it's, it's interesting because I know you've been, criti- you've been critical of, of, of so-called wine speak. You know, you, I think you said that wine professionals, we wine professionals have a language of our own and we speak yeah. to each other. Yeah, I mean, ha, ha, how, do you, how do we change that dynamic in a sense? Look, I have enormous respect for every, every wine professional there is. And I have learned from so many of you and you'll have all contributed to my success and continue to do so. And so nothing against anybody. But in general, I make that statement because I truly feel that we all talk to each other because nobody wants to, it takes a lot of guts to dummify yourself to kind of simply we all say we must simplify wine we must simplify wine but you see it takes a lot of guts for an mw to say that i'm not going to be talking about the nuances between a poyak and a saint julian i'm going to be talking about how to open a bottle of sparkling wine right and i think if i did a video like that and god knows in the earlier days i did and they got no views nobody cared because no one knew what the hell i was talking about (laughs) and i realized you got to understand your market and i when i looked at my market i see my opportunity as these 1.4 billion people which is uh you know more than one one fifth the global population and i think here's my opportunity here's my oyster um and if i have to do something and add value here, then if I want to contribute meaningfully, then I must give them what they're looking for, what they're seeking. So I decided to simplify. And even if I look at legends like Robert Parker, for example, and I I went through this thinking process earlier on. Robert Parker tasted and scored some of the most expensive and finest and exemplary wines of the world. But at the end of the day, his scoring system was a way of dummifying how to evaluate or qualify wine in the simplest sense, right? It was a way of dummifying. And it, 
consume he made it in a way that consumers understood and a lot of people do content and do work for the trade and i thought i should be doing more work for also consumers mm. so i'm i'm equal i'm sort of b2b but i'm also very b2c yeah. because ultimately consumer is king today people see that i have a following people see i have a large following business automatically comes i've never used social media to get paid as an influencer i've never treated it like that but work has still come my way because the the following in itself is an endorsement that that you are a thought leader in the space yeah. and that then leads to more referred business and so on so i really feel consumer is king ultimately and yeah we can talk to each other and we can write for each other but i think talking to consumer equally fascinates me i wonder how that applies to your specialist wine stores because you've got this vine to wine these stores i mean how do you tread that path between you know wines that people know and like and breaking new ground you know challenging them maybe a little just to just to keep moving and evolving yeah. i think where we grow, broke ground in the retail is is we were the first with the pioneering modern retail specialist wine stores Prior to that, we have what you call a a multi liquor store, and wine would be a very small percentage of the offering in a store, and it was a very over the counter experience. What I mean by that is people would have to stand on the other side of a counter and ask to be shown certain things, and there'd be staff standing on the other side and bringing it to a, a counter space, and you had to buy across the counter, so you couldn't enjoy, you couldn't enter the store, browse through the bottles, touch, feel them, have a proper knowledgeable conversation with the staff. So we had none of that. It was a very regressive, transactional, uh, traditional sort of a liquor store setup formats in India. And I think when we started Wine to Wine, it was the first of its kind modern wine specialist where we were 100 wine, and we obviously went with wines ranging from the lowest price point absolutely the highest price point uh, so we had a wide variety of wines and we had knowledgeable staff who were wscd qualified people who could have knowledgeable conversations so i think that's where we broke ground and we were seen as pioneers but having said that there's not too much of risk to be taken because even today if i see tim the availability of wines here are still pretty conventional uh, it's mostly the large conglomerates because they have large marketing budgets they're in it for the long term and they are the one pumping money and growing their brands and so on the smaller boutique wineries from around the world still struggle to come here and would you believe it if i told you we still don't have or just about got a gruner weltliner and we still don't have an alberino in this country you can you believe it there's no alberino available in india so that's how far apart we are from the uk that's how much work there okay. is still to be done yeah so yeah okay that's a fair point i mean you know and also you've got this problem of high very high taxation in you that i think india has some of the highest taxes in the world on imported wine and you know the 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 system the market is complex and it's intensely regulated is that going to change and, and is there anything you can do to lobby the government maybe yeah well i think a lot of lobbying has been done um uh, by many people and and uh, all that good work is bearing fruit we recently announced a free trade agreement with the australian government where the rates the duties for australian wines is going to come to half and i believe similar ftas free trade agreements are in the in the pipeline soon to be announced with the usa and yeah. the uk although i'm not sure how uk helps from a wine perspective pretty but, small uh, yeah very small but uh, you know and 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 europe again because europe is now pissed off that everyone else is doing it why aren't we so you know there's going to be one with europe too so ftas are coming through and then to facilitate this this even further or to accelerate help accelerate this further we just recently launched a white paper called the india wine insider so the india wine insider is the first of its kind comprehensive report that actually throws uh, 
gives all detailed information on the entire import landscape in the in the country, how to enter and succeed in India, what are the import regulations, what are the labeling practices, how to go about the the entire regulatory system, uh, a, a thorough understanding of the Indian wine consumer, their behavior, their attitudes, um, and uh, marketing and, and brand building strategies based on successful case studies by other wines, wine companies that have succeeded in the country. Made it so work, it's a hundred yeah. page report. Yeah. It's a hundred page report, which if any international wine company were to get their hands on and read it, they would have a lot more confidence about India because the problem with India is India is a bit of a maze. We have uh, 28 states and every state has its own regulations for wine. We're a bit like the U S so um, yeah. And we also have the three tier system like the U S we have an importer distributor, uh, and then a uh, retailer and then consumer. So there is no direct-to-consumer uh, sort of uh, roadmap. So this one typically outlines and answers all questions anybody might, might have and reduces people's anxiety about coming into India. I just realized people have a lot of anxiety about coming into India. They hear India and they're like, oh, no, 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 we can't deal with that market. We don't know how to do it. Yeah. And I'm like, it's not that difficult. If you're working with people like us, for example, yeah, who can help now, you, right? who can help you navigate this like a breeze, you know, yeah. all that. But yeah. our white paper is really uh, aimed to facilitate that, that, that journey. Tell us a little bit about your judging. You know, you've mentioned the India Wine Awards, another first for you and, and very successful. I, I just wonder what you think. I mean, two things, really. I mean, you know, what makes a good wine judge, judge? And I also wonder how you think anybody listening in today who wants to become a wine taster and wants to get into wine, how can they get better at, better at tasting? Hmm, I have unconventional answers here. Um, so according to me, to be a good judge is really about, you, have you heard of the judicial system? The judicial system says that it's okay if a hundred criminals because of loopholes in the judicial system go scot-free, but one innocent man should not be punished for a crime he didn't commit. I apply the same principle to judging wines and competitions. I always say it's okay if, if hundred not so deserving wines end up winning a medal, which is invariably sometimes what happens. But one really good wine, which deserves a medal, shouldn't go unnoticed, shouldn't go unawarded. And so I feel that the skill of a really good taster is to be able to deliberate on that and ensure that every deserving wine gets that recognition. That's what, according to me, what a good taster, a blind taster is at a, at a wine true. competition. Um, and on your question about... Um, how does one become a better taster? Typically, people would say, taste more. You know, the more you taste, the better you get at tasting. I actually differ in my opinion. You know, when I was studying for the Master of Wine, my opportunities to taste were so limited. I had to rely on my international travel because I didn't even have those classic wines available in India. I, I couldn't be like being in the UK where you just got up, went down the road, bought a bottle of wine, just tasted it and so on. I had no access. So uh, to me, I had to rely on all my international travels and I had to somehow build a terrific memory for some of the wines. So my advice to people who want to build their tasting ability would say, first, taste only the classics. Taste, don't taste random wines. If you're going to taste a, a, a really good Pinot Noir from Central Otago, for example, just make sure it's an absolute classic producer producing a textbook example. Taste a high-quality example. And then I feel the lesser you taste, the more well-defined you remember it. Because otherwise, the whole memory gets a bit blurred. Mm -hmm. I remember even during my exam, you know, we are, we're often told just before the master wine exam, stop tasting a week before because mm -hmm. you want to just refresh your palate. So I think keeping your palate fresh is kind of important. And it really helped me. I think I must have been the least, I must have tasted the least amount of wines for the master <laughs> wine exam. But somehow it worked for me because I just had to build 
consciously a terrific memory. It's a bit like, you know, when someone's blind, they just, their noses works over time. It was a bit like that because I was tasting less. I think my memory for the, what I was tasting was quadrupled. So and l- less but better and more focused. Less and yeah. better and more yeah. focused. Yeah. yeah. I think that's very, very good advice, actually. Um, <clears throat> I noticed also you said somewhere that you only drink wine two days a week. You taste wine two, every, every day of the week. Is that true? You only drink wine two could, days a week? I could easily it's drink every day. I know. How prude, right? What a prude answer. Mm-hmm. I know. Uh, no, actually, I do drink. Uh, I try. Some, some weeks are bad, but I do try and drink no more than two times. See, when, firstly, when I drink, I don't taste. You know, I'm just drinking. I'm enjoying the wine. When I'm tasting, I'm not drinking. I try and be professional and and uh, disciplined about it. So I'm spitting. Uh, so I try and not mix the two. But when I'm, I think not drinking more than twice a week is just for health reasons. Um, and uh, tasting bit is I just uh, I get lots of opportunities to taste. So tasting is not regulated. I can taste as often as you want, but um, then I try and deliberate on what I'm tasting. But I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm just a social drinker. I don't necessarily need to drink every day. I never drink alone. Um, no, I uh, don't Yeah, I think, I suspect I'm an emotional eater, not necessarily an emotional drinker. Well, talking of food, I want to ask you a little bit about this, about spicy food. I mean, a lot of Indian food is spicy, not all of it. And obviously, it's a huge generalization to talk about Indian cuisine because there are lots of different regional and local cuisines. But um, people often say it's difficult to partner wine with spicy food. Do you think that's true or, or is it just they're not trying hard enough? I think it's just such a cliched statement because it's the whole world that's making spicy food. If you come to India and you taste wines here, I, I'm sorry, if you taste the food here, it's very elegantly spiced. It's not, it's it's very nuanced. It's not spicy, spicy. Um, but yeah, I mean, anything spicy, right? Even a spicy Thai curry isn't going to work or, or a spicy Japanese something isn't going to work. So I think... Or uh, Sichuan food from to, China. Wow. I mean, that, Exactly, that's exactly. So that that's true of any cuisine, right? It's not just Indian food. So I don't think Indian food is spicy necessarily. But what I do believe is India, Indian food is very complex. And if you see the composition of all Indian dishes, it's never on its own. It's like a biryani will come with a raita and a papad and a pickle. And, a, and the reason behind that and the science behind that is... Indian food is complete in itself. It it has all the flavors in it, which is not just spicy, but the tangy, the the sweetness, the 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 mild yogurt, you know, the mildness to offset the fieriness. It's all kind of there. So in many ways, it leaves wine very little scope to come in and add an extra dimension. The whole idea of food and wine is that wine has a scope to add an extra dimension when it's paired with other cuisines. With Indian food, Indian Indian food does come tend to be more robust and more complete in itself. And I believe it does compete with the wine for attention. And so in many ways, it doesn't allow the wine to be the hero because it's just so delicious and robust and full of flavor. Having said that, I I don't believe the pairing as such is not possible. A lot of Indians, uh, I I don't believe in the the actual exacting science of pairing wine and food. I think the food is good and the wine is good. And as long as they don't create a very distasteful experience on your palate, I think it's okay to enjoy both. And, and not not think of what comes first and what's more predominant and so on. Um, I think any kind of a ripe red, a really ripe round, r- r- smooth red, whether it's a Cabernet Sauvignon or a Merlot or a Malbec or, or even a Tempranillo would work really well. Um, I have tried um, recently a, a Thorbrek uh, Shiraz with a Black Dal and it worked really well. So I think oh. anything that is ripe is good. But care should be taken to see that it's not high alcohol and it's definitely not drying alcohol. Uh, sorry, um, definitely not high alcohol and not drying tannins. We don't want high drying tannins, so it can't be astringent. 
Uh, I, but I also think a lot of juicy reds, you know, like the Val Policella Ripassos or the uh, Fleury, like a Beaujolais Cru. Or, these are the wines I tend to steer towards, some Grenache-based uh, reds or even Grenache-based rosés actually uh, work beautifully. Some aromatic whites work really well. I'm not a big fan of Sauvignon Blanc, but I think Riesling, as cliched as it sounds, does work. Shannon Blanc works really well. Gruner Veltliner works really well. If you can find one. These, in, in if, I can, if I can ever find one in India, <laughs> would work really well. And uh, yeah, there's, 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 yeah. But I think be ready for some competition. That's what I tell I, the wine producers. Be I, ready really, for competition. I, I think that, I mean, I'm mentally applauding here because I agree with you completely. I mean, if I have a dinner party, I just serve the food and put a few bottles on the table and people can just help themselves. Yeah. Really. And I've been at dinner parties here in India, Tim, and I tell you, we are, we, we, we drinking because we like to drink a lot before we eat. And when the food arrives, we forget about everything else. We just start eating and we just, we just, we <laughs> love the concept of food and wine pairing. But I've been to these food, I've curated some of these. People just forget to drink. There's wine in everyone's glasses and people are just eating away. So yeah. we're fascinated with our food. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, last question, very quickly. Um, just how do you get away from wine? I mean, we've heard about this amazing life you've got. You're busy on so many fronts. Do you have time for anything else? Of course. Um, work is wine, and I'm not obsessed like that otherwise. And on the when, I, when I'm working, it's wine. When I'm playing, it's um, buying good clothes. I'm very fond of jewelry. I like you to always dress jewelry. very well. I have to say. Thank you, thank you. I'm very fond of shopping. Consumerism helps, but uh, uh, I'm fond of good jewelry. I'm fond of good food, and I love holidays with families. And when I'm doing holidays, I don't try and mix work. You know, no, like, okay. You don't get. Don't try and say, "Oh, I know there's a vineyard around. Let's go and you know go." I don't try and do that. So I try and keep it. But yeah, it's I, I find a lot of time for for pursuing things I love apart from wine. Brilliant. Well, it's great to hear. Listen, Sonal, it's been fantastic talking to you. What a great interview. I mean, I found it absolutely fascinating listening to your insights into the Indian market. I wish you every success and I hope I'll see you soon. Um, you know, Thank you, Tim. Please come. Please come. Please come to India. India. And okay. let me show you India through my eyes. It's a deal. I'm coming. Awesome. Can't wait. Thank right, you so much you. for today. Bye. Bye. Well, you can see why Sonal has become such a superstar in India. What a ball of energy she is. Next week on Cork Talk, my guest is Jean-Baptiste Le Caillon from Champagne-Louis-Rogera in France. Join us then. Thanks for listening to Cork Talk. If you want to read more reports, articles and tasting notes by me, go to my website, timatkin.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, at Tim Atkin, and on Instagram, at TimAtkinMW. See you next week.